invite you to open up the scriptures with me this morning, God's Word to the book of Revelation. We'll be in Revelation 4 today, and if you're using a pew Bible, you can find this text on page 993. Today we do begin a new series from the book of Revelation, a series titled Christ the Center. So we take note that Christ is the center of human history and of God's plans for people, the center of all creation, the center of Uh, of the universe. Well, 2019 is here. Uh, 2018 came and went for some uh, faster than for others, but the beginning uh, of a new year is a good time to consider where we've come from and where we're going. A time to consider vision, a time to adjust or renew our perspective, a time to commit or recommit, a time to look and to listen, uh, to hear and respond to the Lord. And through God's Word, through a series of visions given to John of the Lord, we're called to do just that, to hear and respond to the Lord. So let's do that this morning. Let's open God's Word and let's see Him. Let's take in who He is and respond appropriately and accordingly. May John's vision of Christ shape our vision for a new year. So as you find your place in Revelation chapter 4, Uh, Let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's holy word. Let's hear the word of the Lord today. Revelation 4, beginning in verse 1. John writes, he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face uh, had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under their wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things And by your will they were created and have their being. Let's bow in prayer. Father, what a privilege to come before you today, to gather as your people, Lord, to open your word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for this vision of of heaven. Father, we pray that your spirit would be felt and known among us. We know that your spirit is here and, and at work. So, Lord, instruct us, shape us. Uh, that we might understand your word and respond accordingly. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. 
Amen. Church, you may be seated. What a portrait, right? What a scene that we're uh, allowed to peek into here in Revelation uh, chapter 4. What a vision of the heavenly throne room. Church, God's permanent position on heaven's throne ought to encourage faithfulness here. God's permanent position, his, his position of prestige, his position on the throne, his, his status, his, his permanent status ought to encourage faithfulness here. That's the message, I think, portrayed through this heavenly vision. In other words, what is happening right now in heaven ought to affect what happens right now on earth. The one who sits on the throne of heaven is also sovereign over the affairs of the earth. And seeing him, encountering him, hearing from him, ought to adjust our perspective and inform the way that we live. So what we have here is this heavenly throne room scene, a vision given to John of God on heaven's throne. And it's not the only uh, vision like this in God's Word. There are other visions or, or, or images in God's Word of people encountering the glory and the presence of, of God. Uh, one comes from the book of, of Exodus. In fact, remember uh, God's plan for the Israelites as He delivers them from bondage and slavery in Egypt. He hears their cries for help and He comes to their aid. He responds in a miraculous way. He calls uh, His messenger, uh, Moses, uh, to represent Him in leading His people out of of slavery and God makes good on that call, that promise. He delivers His people. Uh, they're not yet in the promised land. They're uh, in the desert. They're preparing to hear from the Lord and receive His law, His instruction for how they're to live and walk in relationship with Him. And so God gives Moses some instructions in Exodus chapter 19, telling him, uh, him to gather the people together, to gather them at the foot of Mount Sinai because God's going to make His glory known. He's going to come down so that they trust him, so that they trust God's messenger, Moses. And so Moses does that. He instructs the people to wash their clothes and to get ready, because the Lord is coming down. When we pick up the story, we see what happened in Exodus 19, verses 16 and following. We read, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, and a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. What a scene. And so God's glory appeared. God made himself known and the people responded. They responded by trembling. Even the mountain trembled. The people trembled. And they trusted him. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see another such vision. We read about another vision of God. And this time, like in Revelation chapter 4, God is on heaven's throne. Isaiah chapter 6, we read Isaiah's words. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. He says, And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
Isaiah says, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the, the king, the Lord Almighty. In other words, Isaiah receives this call and this commission and this encounter with the presence of God. He sees the glory of God. And all of its fullness in that moment. And he responds by noticing his own sinfulness, his own unworthiness to stand in God's presence. A vision of God's glory and power and presence and his grace encourages Isaiah's faithfulness to God. Prophet Ezekiel receives a similar vision. Another overwhelming vision encounter of God's glory and presence Ezekiel chapter 1 verses 27 and 28 Ezekiel says I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire and that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day so was the radiance around him This was the appearance of the likeness and the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. So most likely, John's original audience, his first century audience in the book of Revelation would have been familiar with these and other apocalyptic type texts. And so his in the spirit vision recorded in Revelation chapter 4 wouldn't have seemed quite so outlandish as it does to us. And certainly it's out there. It's meant to be out there. It's meant to capture and and captivate attention. But those that were familiar with the Scriptures would have recalled texts like these. Revelation means apocalypse and refers to uh, a type of intense prophecy that includes images of fantasy. Uh, And and I don't use that tongue-in-cheek. I don't mean uh, things that are not real. Uh, These are visions from the Lord given to John, but I mean things that are otherworldly, things that are not found in this world. Images such as those uh, written during a time of crisis to assure God's people uh, that he will intervene and establish his kingdom. And so here John is given a vision for the church's benefit, for our benefit and for our encouragement. I think I've said before and I probably say again that Revelation is not primarily given to provide a detailed chronological map of future events. Now, that's often what we want it to be. There's some who certainly want to read it that way, but I don't think that's the plain reading of the text. It's sort of like looking at an abstract painting and trying to make it into a treasure map. We've got to understand the purpose of the book, the intent of the book, and in its original setting, it would have been read all at once. All together in a worship gathering before the church like this. In fact, the what must take place after this of verse 1 does not necessarily mean that chapters 4 and following are strictly about future events. This vision was as much for the first century church as it is for the 21st century church. Describing, yes, uh, end time events or eschatological events. Meaning what has and what is and what will take place between the two advents, or the two comings, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I say all that to say this. Let's not be too quick to bring some preconceived ideas or some popular end times view and transpose it on top of the text. Let's hear the text. 
Let's hear God's Word. Let's see Him and let's allow His Word to shape our image, our perspective of who He is and how we should respond. And what's provided here uh, is a glimpse into heaven, a needed heavenly perspective for Christians who are living in a pagan world, a world of persecution, a world of pressure, a world of temptation and Roman totalitarianism. You see, in the midst of hate and hardship, Jesus invites John to peel back the curtain, so to speak, and to see that all history is under God's sovereign control. All history is under God's sovereign control, including Domitian's reign in AD 95 in the Roman world, including Kim Jong-un's reign in North Korea in 2019, and including every tyrant in between. And so here John is worshiping, and as he worships, he sees a vision of an open door in heaven, and Christ says to him, come up here. Come, come see this. And what does he see? He sees a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, verse 2. Heaven's throne is mentioned more than 40 times in the book of Revelation. In fact, more than 15 of those times are found right here in chapters 4 and chapters 5. This vision is declaring loud and clear that God is sovereign. Christians take heart. Don't be discouraged. Remain faithful. Though Rome rules with a heavy hand, Rome is in God's hands. All history is. In fact, John's words here recall another uh, biblical text that's written several hundred years prior to this one. Here's the setting. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is reigning in Babylon. He's the king over the Babylonian empire in his day. And he uh, has attacked Jerusalem and taken some of its inhabitants home as exiles, prisoners, so to speak. And Daniel is one of those, young Daniel, a man who loves the Lord, who knows the Lord, who's faithful to the Lord. And because he's faithful to the Lord, the Lord grants him favor. One day uh, the king has a dream and he's looking for someone, not just to interpret his his dream, but to tell him what dream he had. uh, So he knows their interpretation is legitimate. And he summons all the foretellers and all the magicians in the land, and none can tell him the dream that he has. He's ready to get rid of all of them. None can produce the dream, much less give its interpretation. Uh, But uh, by the Lord's power, Daniel does. He does. And so he recounts the king's dream of a great image. This is his dream. A great image with a head of gold and with a chest uh, and and arms of, of silver with thighs of bronze and, and legs and feet of iron become clay down in his toes. And, and in that particular dream, there's a stone uh, that strikes this image and breaks it in pieces. And according to Daniel chapter 2, verse 35, uh, this stone became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. In fact, let me encourage you to turn there with me. This, this is good. We're, we're going to read this. Daniel chapter 2. Uh, this is a lengthier text, so it's not on the screen, but Daniel chapter 2. You can find this text on page 721 in the Pew Bible. But uh, here's, the, here's the image. Here's the dream that the king has. He has this image of this head of gold, uh, chest and shoulders of silver, uh, thighs of bronze, legs and feet of iron. And so Daniel speaks up. He says to the king, Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 36, he says, this was the dream. So he's just recounted what the dream was. This was the dream. 
And now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. Verse 39, after you another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Skip down to verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. Verse 45, he says, This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. And church, guess what? It came to pass just as Daniel said. The Babylonian Empire, represented by the head of gold, came to pass. It fell. The Persian Empire, represented by the silver, also came and went. And third, the Greeks rose to power, represented by the bronze. And they, too, eventually fell. In fact, many scholars have said Daniel couldn't have written this in the the 6th century or so uh, uh, B.C. Because how would he have known this? And, of course, that's the whole point of Scripture. The Lord guided him in that way. This is the word of the Lord. But then in 63 B.C., the Roman Empire represented by the iron, became the dominant world power and remained so for 500 years. That's the power that was in power, the greatest power in the world at the time. That was the power that was in power when Jesus came on the scene. Crucifixion was a Roman practice, right? At the end of the first century, when John is writing, the Jews are still subject to the Romans. The Roman emperor is still sitting on the throne. And all of the churches addressed in Revelation 7 letters were uh, within the Roman Empire. And in uh, that day, the emperor ruled with a heavy hand, expecting submission, even worship by his subjects, demanding to be called our Lord and our God, the imperial cult. But through Daniel, God spoke of another kingdom here. He prophesies, he predicts uh, an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that would crush all these other kingdoms, making them pale in comparison to it. And when Jesus spoke of being the cornerstone, the central stone, the cornerstone, he announced through his word that he was the king, that he is the king of that other kingdom, that eternal kingdom. In fact, here are his words recorded in Luke chapter 20, verse 18. Jesus said, everyone who falls on that stone... Here probably a reference to the stone quoted in Daniel's uh, interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Sounds a lot like Daniel chapter 2. Jesus said everyone who falls on that stone uh, will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. You see, all history is under God's sovereign control. All history finds fulfillment in God's kingdom inaugurated in the coming of Jesus Christ, the kingdom that will be characterized by perfect unity and peace and submission 
which is why the Apostle Paul could write in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, that God made known to us the mystery of His will. God made this known. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So unity in heaven and on earth under, under Christ, the kingdom of Christ. So John is writing here in Revelation. He's writing to Christians living in a temporary place, a, a temporary home filled with idolatry and immorality and emperor worship and economic suppression, facing persecution and pressure to compromise. And he's saying to them, trust the Lord's timing and plans. Trust the Lord's timing and plans. He is trustworthy. For this too, your present circumstance is in His hands. Daniel prophesied and it came to pass. This too, he says, shall come to pass. For there is one sitting on the throne of heaven, watching and waiting, ruling and moving all history toward His eternal purposes. So trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. So suffering Christians... Hurting Christians can be assured that God is sovereign and that whatever we face now, in the words of one scholar, will culminate in our redemption and the vindication of our faith through the punishment of our persecutors. So be encouraged, John says. Be strengthened. Remain faithful. John's heavenly vision here declares that all history is under God's sovereign control and it gives us a window, a glimpse into heaven itself. And what do we learn about heaven here? We learn that heaven is theocentric. Heaven is theocentric. What do we mean by that? In other words, God is the focus. He is the focus. I think we're often quick to imagine our own version of heaven. Nothing wrong with imagining what heaven would be like. Certainly if it's a biblically informed view. We, we want to know what heaven's going to be like. We look forward to the day. We don't have a whole lot in Scripture about what heaven is really going to be like, but here we do. We like to imagine heaven with gold and mansions and friends and food and perhaps football. But notice, who is the central figure here? Who is the central character? God is on the throne. His splendor and His majesty are portrayed by jewels, jasper, ruby, uh, verse 3, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. And surrounding God's throne were these other folks, these 24 elders dressed in white with gold crowns. In verse 6, in the center around the throne were, were four living creatures. Of course, preachers and teachers, many are often quick to identify these figures. and Nothing wrong with that, but that's really not the point here. That's not the central focus. The living creatures recall biblical descriptions of the seraphim like we read earlier from Isaiah chapter 6 and the cherubim, heavenly creatures or exalted angels. Many folks think the 24 elders are, are angels or representing angels around the throne. Uh, I tend to think perhaps they're representative of the church, of believers. Twelve Old Testament tribes, twelve New Testament apostles, twelve is a significant number in God's Word, significant number in the book of Revelation for God's people. These people uh, are around the throne, but the point, or these creatures are around the throne, the point is that God is center. Heaven is about Him, enjoying, worshiping, exalting, loving the One who made us. And the best way, then, that we can prepare for heaven is by learning to love God. Love God. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And I can assure you that as we spend time with Him, as we get to know Him, not simply getting to know about Him, learning facts about Him, certainly that's part of it, but getting to know Him personally, then we will grow to love Him more and more. Those surrounding the heavenly throne are fully focused on Him. He is the object of their affection and worship, and rightly so, because of who He is. I think in this way the gospel somewhat uh, resembles marriage. It's a lot like marriage. Those who have ever been married know that marriage is a gift. It's part of God's design. It's a gift that's given. Healthy marriage are a lot of things that are uh, th- that uh, benefit us, or a lot of enjoyable things, or a lot of things that we get out of marriage. We get companionship, and we get conversation, and we get uh, intimacy, and we get family, and we, perhaps we get financial security. Perhaps not, maybe so. Uh, but the greatest thing that we get uh, is someone, right? Someone, a, a person. Likewise, in the gospel, we get a lot of things. We get forgiveness of sins and freedom from the rule of sins. We get the removal of guilt. We get eternal life. But the greatest thing that we get is God. As John Piper Piper has said, uh, God is the gospel. We get Him. We get a renewed, reconciled, restored relationship with God Most High. Why is this so good? Why is it so good to be in relationship with Him? It's good because of who He is. God is holy, almighty, and eternal. He's holy, he is almighty, and he's eternal. Of course, we could add to that list. There's more things that we could say about who he is, and the more we get to know him, the more we understand and, and fall in love with who he is, with his character. These are things that are portrayed right here in Revelation chapter 4. Listen to the chorus of these heavenly worshipers, beginning in verse 8. Day and night, they never stop saying... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders follow suit. They fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they were created and have their being. In other words, heavenly worship involves words. Describing to God and others who He is. And it involves obeisance, homage, respect, reverence, submission, adoration for the true and eternal King. For Christ is King, not Caesar. So friends, how do we respond to such a vision? What difference does this portrait make? heavenly portrait make? What should it make for us? What difference should it make for first century Christians living in Ephesus and 21st century believers living in in Birmingham? Language and culture has changed quite a bit. Personalities and powers have come and gone. Travel and technology and economics and medicine look a lot different now than they did then. Does this affect us? These things look different, but the lure of wealth and immorality, the pressures of popularity, the suppression of the weak by the powers that be and the fragility of human life all remain the same. These things have not changed. 
So though we're surrounded by temporal things, surrounded by earthly things, we're surrounded by worldly things, we're, we're surrounded by temporary things, we're called to live according to eternal things. Thus we heed the call, the implicit call of Revelation chapter 4 and relinquish fear of temporary rulers and trials. We have every reason, church, as followers of the King of all kings, to relinquish fear of temporary rulers and trials. Things that we get caught up in in this life. Things that spark fear in us that will not last forever. Perhaps we should follow the lead of Queen Elsa and say, let it go. It's going to go. It is not going to last forever. Friend, you may not be facing pressure to worship an earthly king, but perhaps your company's uh, CEO is calling for business practices that do not honor your Lord, your Savior, Jesus Christ. And if so, I believe this text speaks to you. You may not be ba- you, you may be battling temptation to elevate uh, anything and anyone, uh, be it self or health or wealth or pleasure above faithfulness and devotion to God. And if so, this text speaks to you. This text warns you and me. Friends, God's word invites us to regain a heavenly perspective for earthly living. For God's permanent position on heaven's throne ought to encourage our faithfulness here. So let's be encouraged. Let's remain faithful. Let's press on. Let's be faithful here until the coming kingdom of Christ comes in its fullness or until Jesus Christ takes us home. But until then, let's worship. Let's worship the King of Kings. Let's worship the King. The ultimate King. The true King. The lasting King. The King of all kings. The one who rules a kingdom that will never, ever be destroyed. And in this way, we get ready for heaven. We practice. We rehearse. We prepare. We, we prepare to join those who are encircling God's throne, saying, you are worthy, our Lord and God. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Father, we pray that we would get ready. Lord, that we would get to know you. Lord, that we would bow before you here and now. Lord, that we would fall in love with Jesus Christ here and now and look forward to the day that we too encircle your throne and worship you forever and ever. Lord, to the day that we enjoy your presence and provision, the day that we see you for who you are and your goodness and your mercy toward us and are moved to praise. Father, we thank you for a portrait of heaven, a portrait of the King of all kings that informs our living here until you return. Lord, guide us to worship you. Guide us to glorify your name. Guide us to live for you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.